0: In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And the temple, at the sound of the voice of the angels, shook, and it was filled with smoke. And above them were seraphs, there were angels that had six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they cried out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so by us gathering and singing holy, holy, these are the words of angels that are gathered around the throne of God, singing and declaring the praises of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I need to take a moment, and I want to address women for a moment. Women, let me set the stage. Imagine that you are living in the first century. You're married. Your husband works hard, and he loves you. He provides for you. And then some neighbors move in next door to you. The wife is different, but in a good way. She's kind and gentle. She's loving and humble. Well, one day she comes over for coffee and conversation while your kids who are similar in age are playing together, and she begins to tell you her story. She tells you about her life before she came to know Jesus in which she was very selfish and sinful and very prideful, but then she met Jesus, and he changed her heart forever. She heard the good news of Jesus, who's God's own son, who came and died on the cross for her sin, and he rose again on the third day to give her eternal life. And so when she believed in him, he changed her life forever. Well, as you're seated there at the coffee table, your heart begins to feel a sense of conviction for your own sin. As she's sharing her story, you're like, oh my goodness, I I need this Jesus. She then places her hand upon your shoulder and says, "Jesus loves you so much. And he died on the cross for you and he rose again to give you eternal life if you would believe upon him." Tears begin streaming down your cheek. Sobs start coming over you as you are overwhelmed by the moment, and she asks you this question Would you like to pray to receive Jesus? Unable to speak, you nod yes. You bow your head, and she prays over you, and you pray to receive Jesus. When she's done praying, you lift your eyes, and all of a sudden, everything's different. You feel different. You look at the world differently. All of a sudden, you have joy. You're overwhelmed with love. Things have now changed. Well, that evening, your husband comes home from work, and you share with him what has happened earlier that day, and you share with him, Honey, today, our neighbor came over, and he told me about this guy named Jesus. And I've heard this story, and it has changed me forever, and I'm now going to be following him now. Your husband pounds his fist on the table and says, by no means will a wife of mine follow Jesus. You will not live in my house and be a Christian. Women, what do you do? Simon Peter tells you in 1 Peter chapter 3, Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're entering back into our sermon series uh, called Imperishable, in which we're walking through the book of 1 Peter together as a faith family. As a church, our mission is to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of an imperishable beauty. We're going to be looking at the marriage relationship in 1st Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. And what we've seen leading up to this point in 1st Peter is that Peter is writing to believers in Jesus who are suffering, who are facing persecution for their faith in Jesus. As they're following Christ, the, the intensity is increasing of persecution against them as they are following after Christ. And so he writes to them to encourage them to stand firm in the true grace of God. So that as suffering comes, they are to rejoice in the suffering. Well, the question is, how is it possible to rejoice in suffering? Well, the answer is found in salvation that we have received. Much of First Peter, Chapter One and Chapter Two, is Peter telling these um, these believers who are facing facing suffering and persecution of what Christ has done for them in the gospel. They are indeed defined by their identity is in Jesus Christ. So as persecution increase, remember who you are, Simon Peter says. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your identity is in him. Beloved, may I say to you today that your identity is not in your bank account, your skin color, your job occupation, or even what the scale on the bathroom floor says. Your identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who defines you and your identity is firmly planted in him. But then you get to the rest of the book, and Peter begins outlining this practical application of the gospel. He's saying, believers, this is what the Christian life looks like, especially in light of persecution. And so in chapter 3, Peter makes a focus upon marriage. And he begins with the wives. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Peter writes, In the same way, wives... Submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sights." Here in the text, Peter is giving insight on how a woman can become the wife that God has called her to be. Notice in the text two ways that wives can be who God has called them to be. Number one is this, submit like Christ. Submit like Christ. Look at verse 1. Peter says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own Husbands. When Peter says verse 1 in the same way, he's actually referencing back to chapter 2. In the same way that believers submit to governing authorities, verses 13 through 17, in the same way that believers submit to their earthly bosses, their earthly masters, verses 18 through 20 in chapter 2, so in the same way, wives are to submit to their husbands. Isn't it interesting that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he plants the gospel, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, in between the application of submission. So as he's saying, as you submit to the government and as you submit to your boss, I want to remind you of the gospel, of what God has done for you in Christ. And now, marriages. Let's go back to the submission idea and begin with wives. You see, to submit is to subject to the leadership above you. That word submit, verse one, it means to arrange under. It depicts the ordering under leadership. Now, we see this all the time in our everyday life. We see within governments, we see that there is a leadership order. At your business, there is a leadership order. Even within a context of a local church, there is a leadership order. Well, now Simon Peter is taking this leadership principle and he's applying it to the family. Yet when Peter says, wives, submit to your own husbands, there are many today who ridicule such an antiquated idea. But beloved, remember, God does not call you to do something that he himself hasn't already done. You look at God himself. Within the Godhead, we see leadership and we see submission, You have the Father and the Son and the Spirit, all equally God. All are equal in power and in glory. And yet each person within the Godhead Godhead have different roles, different uh, functions that they play. For example, in John chapter 10, uh, Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. Okay, we are the same in essence. We're We're equal in power and glory. And yet at the same time, Jesus says in John six thirty eight, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. So even within the Godhead, we see Jesus and the Father as co-equal in the Godhead, and yet we see Jesus who submits to the will of the Father. Okay, so wives, as you think about this call to submission, God is not calling you to do something that he himself hasn't already done. When we look to the gospel and the triune God's relationship with himself, it applies to marriage. Wives are equal in value to their husbands and yet your role is different and distinct. Your function is different than your husband because you are not the leader but one who follows, one who submits. It's kind of like a ballroom dance. When you have a a man who leads well and a a partner who follows well, there's beauty within the dance. Whenever the, the leader leads well, and the partner follows well, there's harmony, there's rhythm, there's beauty that takes place within that dance. Well, the same is true in marriage. When the leader leads well, when when the wife submits and follows the leadership of her husband, there is beauty, there's harmony. It's something that is fun to be a part of and you look at it in amazement. Well, don't miss this principle. Submission is not a position of inferiority, but a posture of humility. So when Peter calls wives to submit, he's not calling wives to be a doormat. He is not calling you to be like gum on the bottom of your husband's boots. He is not calling you to the point where you no longer have an opinion But you see, in the context of this marriage relationship, here God is calling wives to glorify God by imitating the model that Jesus left for us in the gospel. Wives, when God calls you to submit to your husbands, he is calling you to be like Christ. Just as Jesus submitted to his father gladly, willingly, she trusted him, she, excuse me, Jesus trusted the father, he submitted to the father, so to our wives to gladly, humbly follow under the leadership and the care and the provision of her husband. You see, submission is ultimately realized in the gospel, when you look at the last five verses of chapter 2, we see Jesus submitting to the will of the Father by humbling himself through his suffering and through his death on the cross. You see, there is beauty that takes place within a submission role in the context of marriage. Well, in the gospel, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 Jesus set an example for us that we should follow. So wives, just as Jesus loves his father and submitted to his father, so too are you to love your husband and gladly and willingly follow his lead. Now let me speak to husbands for a moment. Husbands, it is not good for you to be alone. Thus God gave to you a helper, a helpmate, Someone who will help you with your weaknesses, and men, we have many. And so God has brought someone into your life where she has value, she has perspective, she can see things that you and I cannot see. And so your wife is not someone to be trampled upon or lorded over in the sense of abuse. There's a sense in which she is a precious gift, which we're going to look at in the next couple of weeks, is that this is a gift from the Lord to you. Foolish is the husband who does not seek the wisdom of his wife. You are a fool. If you do not listen to the insight and perspective of your, by, of your bride. Now, wives, this morning, if you're agitated over this word, if you're angry over this word, may I say it to you, the problem is not with God's word. The problem is with your heart. This is why you need Jesus. You look to him and say, Jesus, I really don't want to submit, but I see how you gladly and willingly followed the lead of the Father. So, oh, would you help me to learn how to humble myself, to fall underneath the care and the leadership of my husband? Humble yourself before the Lord. Ask Jesus to empower you, to reprioritize your relationships so that Jesus is first and, you, and then you get to your husband you gladly follow and submit. Humble yourself before God. Fall underneath his word. Ask the Lord to bring other women into your life who will encourage you and pray for you and challenge you to continually become the wife that God has called you to be. Well, Kenneth, why in the world do feminists get so upset and angry over the word submission? That the word submit within our own culture is a curse word of oppression rather than a call to joy-filled freedom. Well, the answer is found in the fact that we go back to this is a consequence of the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the world, we see that not only did it bring devastating consequences in which man's relationship with God was broken, we also see that death enters into the equation Disease and famine and global catastrophes take place because of the fall. Well, in addition to those consequences, God tells Eve, you will not only experience pain in your childbirth, but also Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. That word desire is a word that points to a longing to lead, to lord over. There is a longing within the heart of a wife to lead and lord over her husband in the marriage relationship. Because of the fall in the garden through our first parents, there is a struggle in the heart of the woman for leadership inside the marriage relationship. So often when, when marriages are not going well, it's because there is a question that has not been answered. Who is the leader? Who's leading? And if the husband and wife cannot clearly answer that question, then it leads to chaos and confusion within the marriage. So often when God commands wives to submit to their husbands, verse 1, he's pointing them back to God's original design in Genesis chapter 2. He's pointing wives back to God's point and role of the woman, that she is to be a helper who comes alongside Adam, one who serves. Now, wives, I get it. It is difficult to submit to a husband who will not lead. And unfortunately, an additional consequence of the fall is that there are men who do not lead well. And oftentimes their leadership can range within the two extremes of abuse or apathy. And unfortunately, there are many women who have to deal with a husband who falls into one of those two camps. But I want you to hear me this morning, wives. God will not hold you accountable for how you led your family. That's what's coming for your husband. God will hold you accountable for how you submitted is will you follow? Now, if my husband is abusive, do I have to stay in this relationship? What do I do? Number one, you call 911. You get out. You get help. The beauty of the local church model of God's design is God also instituted the local church to be a means of your protection. We have some deacons in our faith body who are former linebackers. I'm glad they're on my team. Okay? This is the beauty of what we do. But Kenneth, what do I do if my husband doesn't know Jesus? heed the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. He says, if any brother has an unbelieving wife, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or a sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. And so if you are currently married to an unbeliever and your spouse wants to stay married, then you stay married. You stay in the relationship, and God has put you in your spouse's life as a means of evangelism. So you must not divorce him, wives, and you are to submit to him, even though he's not a believer. And it's through your joy-filled, Jesus-exalting submission that you may even save his soul. That's Peter's point in verse 1, in which he says in the same way, wives submit to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word. Wives, hear me, nagging, complaining, belittling, arguing, berating, these are not means of evangelism strategies to reach your husband. Now wives, you cannot control your husband, but you can control your tongue. And your loudest sermon will be preached without a word. It is through the godly conduct of the life that you live, through your joy-filled, Jesus-exalting submission to your husband, that you may even win him to Jesus. Complaining about your husband to your friends, and complaining about your husband to your mom, these are not means of reaching your husband for Christ. Those will push him away. The Bible says that your submission to your husband, this is your way of reaching him for the Lord. But yet notice the submission is not just for the wives who have an unbelieving husband. Verse one, it says, even if some disobey. That doesn't mean all. All wives are to submit to their husbands. The apostle Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter five in which he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. You see, just as the church gladly and willingly submits to the the leadership and the lordship of Jesus, so too are wives to humble themselves and be willing to submit to their husbands in the same way. Now, Kenneth, When are opportunities, when is the situation in which I am not to submit to my husband? Well, the answer is the same when it comes to not submitting to the government and not submitting to your boss. The answer is if your husband leads you to do something that violates the Bible. Wives, you do not submit to your husband if he commands you to deny Jesus. You do not submit to your husband if he leads you to sin. You do not submit to your husband if he instructs you to disobey the Bible. Wives, don't miss this. Your allegiance, first and foremost, is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is number one in your life, and there is no close second place. And as much as you love your husband and you are commanded to, He does not hold a candle to your affection and your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus has first place, it is then that you are empowered, and in fact, you are liberated to love your husband the way that God intends for you to do so. Do not allow any relationship to take first place in your life other than that of the Lord Jesus So how can I become the wife God has called me to be? Number one, submit like Christ. But number two, cultivate the character of Christ. He goes on to say in verse one that your husband may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry, but rather what is inside the heart. The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. You see, when wives live lives, verse 2, of purity and reverence, they are displaying the character of Christ. That word for pure, it's in the same family as the word for holy. It carries the meaning of being pure both inside and outside. It means being free from sin and from guilt. Oftentimes this word is connected to being sexually pure. So as a wife, your conduct is that of holiness, but he also uses the word reverence. You live a life that fears the Lord. You know who God is and who who who, who you are in light of who he is. The wife that God is calling you to be God is calling you to be is one of godliness. In Christ's likeness that you are gladly and joyfully allowing the Holy Spirit through his word to conform you into the image of Jesus. God is in pursuit of conforming your character to look like Christ. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 31.30. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. God is in hot pursuit of raising up women who live a life of character that displays the, the face of Jesus through their lives. But he goes on to say, verse three, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry. So Kenneth is the apostle Peter now out lying? Is he banning me from going to the salon in Charming Charlie's? Am I no longer allowed to go get my hair did and my husband can't get me jewelry anymore for Christmas? That's not his point. He's not trying to bring this legalistic law upon your life about what you can and can't do. The point he's trying to make here is that beauty is not first and foremost external. Your beauty, wives, is not found in how you look on the outside, but upon the character on the inside, verse 3. By all means, steward your body well and glorify God in your appearance. But don't miss this. Modest, thoughtful, lovely, outward appearance can be a reflection of the inner beauty of Christ. But ultimately, Peter's point is to let your beauty be of what is verse 4 inside the heart. That's what he's after here. The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. That word gentle carries the meaning of humility. The word quiet doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with the volume of your voice. It means tranquil. It means peaceful. The wife who is to be praised is growing in godliness. She is humble and she is peaceable. She doesn't have to be the center of attention. She doesn't dress in such a way as to catch the gaze of other men. She's not seeking the the, the, the attention of others by the outward appearance, but she is seeking to live a life of godliness and of character that points people to Jesus. So to close this out this morning, I've got two questions to ask One for each spouse. Number one, husbands, are you making it easy for your wife to follow? Men, when you sacrificially love your bride and you serve your bride, when you labor for her good, when you put her needs before your own, she will follow you to the ends of the earth. When you lead well, when you love well, there is nothing she won't do for you. The question is, are you leading in such a way that she is glad to follow? Are you making it easy for her? Men, lead. You lead your families. You love your wives. You serve her. If you're not willing to do the dishes and to help change diapers, if you're spending more time playing video games, if the only time you're flirting is to be able to have sex, you're not leading well god's design for you men is to pursue your wife's heart to love her well and when you get to the point where you're so willing to lay your life down for her you're making it awfully easy for her to follow you so often wives have difficulty following their husband because quite honestly he's apathetic men god's not called you to apathy He's called you to be a passionate follower of Jesus. And he has intentionally put a wife in your life for you to lead her and to serve her. And so prepare her for that day when she meets Jesus. So when you stand before the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, and you give an account for your life, you can present her to the Lord Jesus, mature and complete in Christ. You have labored well. You have loved well. You have done everything within your power to serve and to care for and to pray for and to undergird her and to help her to be prepared to meet her Savior. Men, I also need to say this. So this call to submission is very difficult for your wife. This is not an easy sermon to preach. And within the culture that scoffs at submission within a culture that belittles wives being helpers when your wife submits you praise her encourage her support her have her back speak well of her in private and in public when she submits you are serving her so well men Make sure you only have eyes for your wife as well. Direct your gaze, your affection, not upon any woman and not upon any computer screen. You fix your affections upon Jesus and you look upon your wife. You praise her because she is a godly woman and she is God's gift to you. So husbands lead well and she will follow. Number two, wives, Are you making it easy for your husband to lead? Do you continually take the reins out of his hands? Do you step up and make decisions that ultimately need to be decisions that he needs to carry the weight and the burden of carrying? But Kenneth, what if he doesn't step up and lead? Then let the situation crumble because it's upon him. And you don't do so with nagging and complaining, but you allow him the opportunity to lead. So let me give you a couple of tips, women, that I think will serve you and your, serve you well in how you make it easy for your husband to lead. Number one, speak well of him in public. Men love to be praised. They love to be respected. Oftentimes, my wife, she does this so well. In public, she'll say, yes, sir, to me. She'll say it in private, too. Yes, sir. No, sir. I'm like, ooh, come on, girl. There is just something within the heart of man. He longs for respect. That is a love language that you can do right now. It doesn't cost you any money, but respect your husband in private and in public. Number two, praise him when he takes initiative. When he steps up and cuts the grass without you asking, thank you so much for doing that. When he takes the garbage out without being asked, thank you for serving our family. When he steps up to do something, you praise him for any initiative that he takes. And when he receives praise, all of a sudden he's gonna start wagging his tail like, ooh, what else can I do? (laughs) I'm getting positive feedback. Number three, this is huge. Encourage him when he leads well, spiritually. Wives, it is terrifying for many men to pray, especially out loud. And so when your husband takes some spiritual initiative, encourage him don't roll your eyes don't don't say well you don't do it like so and so that will be the last time he takes spiritual initiative when you cut him down like that so praise him like crazy it is a scary thing to lead your wife spiritually for many many men and so whenever he takes initiative praise him this next one you have to take my word for it i i'm i want to promise you ladies it's going to work Tell him he has big muscles. (laughs) You are so strong. You take good care of me. Look how big your muscles are. It's not in scripture, but y'all, I'm telling you, it's gonna work. (laughs) 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 Lastly, pray for him. Oh, pray for him. Our culture is in hot pursuit of bringing temptation to men's lives, whether it's through a billboard off the interstate or through a screensaver that shoots across our phones, through the way that other women who don't know the Lord dress, through the allurement of the culture around us, there are temptations for your husband, oh, labor and fight for him on your knees. Praying, oh God, would you protect my husband? Give him a mind of Christ. May he think biblically. Pray diligently for him. He needs it. Lastly, I want to share this with you. So as a kid, I remember my dad at my sister's soccer games. And whenever she did something well, he would shout so loud for the whole complex to hear, that's my girl. But well, wives, when you submit like Christ, and when you cultivate the character of Christ, you will hear the voice of God on that day when you see him face to face. And he will shout for all to hear, that's my girl. Seek the praise of your Father. In joyfully, willingly submitting to your husband and cultivating the character of Christ and God will use your life to have impact for his glory let us pray